Wing Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 294. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to fly the skyline of New York City? Well, recently, Bill English flew the Hudson River Corridor and enjoyed the unique perspective you can enjoy during this flight. It's amazing, that's for sure. But in this episode, we're going to discuss Bill's journey down the river and also discuss how you can safely navigate the Hudson River Corridor. And if you're thinking about doing it, you're going to learn a lot from this podcast. But before we begin, just a quick hello. Tom Frick is joining us this evening uh, from sunny, well, not so sunny right now, cold, I should say, Florida. Hey, Tom, good to see you. Hey, Carl, how's it going? And yeah, cold from our perspective. Um, <laughs> was recently doing some traveling to where it was actually really cold, so I'm glad to actually be back in the warmth again. Absolutely, absolutely. I've been doing a little traveling up north. As a matter of fact, we're talking about the Hudson River. I just flew up the Hudson River recently, a couple of days ago, uh, a little bit higher. But uh, I actually, when I walked outside, it I walked about, God, 100 feet until I realized, oh my God, it's cold. It was 27 degrees. It's funny how that happens when you get out of an airplane when you're coming from Florida, and all of a sudden it kind of shocks you. Uh, so so we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, how the weather can affect what we bring with us in an airplane. But also, Bill, hey, Bill, um, great to have you on. I can't wait to talk about this topic. Yeah, it'll be great. Good to be here. Let's do the pre-flight. So before we get started, um, real quickly, I want to say thanks for all those people that have donated through the Patreon account and also through the Pay It Forward program. And that's actually where we take those monies and we give away scholarships guides. And that's that guide that has over $120 million in scholarships. And it's really easy. You can pay it forward uh, $1 at a time, either using the Patreon account, etc. And once we raise $10, we give away one scholarships guide. Uh, if you have friends that want to get that for free, I think go to AV aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free, and they can get a free scholarships guide. You know, there's new scholarships coming out all the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I chair a committee for uh, women in aviation in the local chapter that I am here, and we're coming out with three new scholarships for mechanics, for people that want to get the seaplane, for all different types of people that want to move forward in not just their careers, but in their flying life. So got to check that out, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free, and the pay it forward program. Now entering cruise flight. Like I said in the beginning, this I'm really excited about this topic because I think one of the coolest things to see is the New York skyline. But the coolest way to see it, I think, is from an airplane at low level and flying by and seeing from, from what I think is the most amazing view of New York City. 
And my favorite part is as you fly by, you kind of you see the streets go by one at a time. Especially if you do it at night, it's gorgeous to see all those those lights and the big buildings lit up, and uh, you know Empire State Building, all those new apartment buildings. Uh, it's just such an, an exciting view. But you know, Bill did one better. He actually did uh, a type of formation flight up the river. So, Bill, I'm going to let you take it away and tell us a little bit about, you know, why you did this and what spurred this on and and what is it you actually, you folks actually did? Yeah, sure, Carl. Um, We, uh, so our our local flight school here, we've got a couple locations and all. We sponsor uh, flyouts generally once a month, pick some cool place to go for for lunch or if there's some you know historic location or something like that and, and uh really nothing um uh, you know formal about it just everybody signs up get a bunch of people together and go for for some kind of fun like that and generally um uh, we, we try to do something interesting and in this case uh, this year uh was just after christmas um they put together a group fly out to uh, fly the hudson river corridor and so a lot of people have done it i know i've done it in the past it's just you know but yourself and a friend or whatever and, and go fly that low altitude corridor up uh, the Hudson. I think a lot of people have, have heard about that already. We're not coming up with any new surprise here. But uh, this year we did it with, uh, I wouldn't say a formation, but a group of 12 aircraft, probably about 30 or so people all together. Um, and uh, got ourselves all arranged and, and flew up there all nose to tail in a big line of airplanes, uh, you know, 12 of us long uh, up the corridor and then and then back down again. Uh, we came from four different airports in our local area and uh, set up to meet up at Monmouth, uh, New Jersey, which is a little bit south of, uh, of New York City. At, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's in, I think it's in the same uh, county as Bucolic, New Jersey. It might be close to there. Uh, but, uh, it's the next anyway, county we, over. <laughs> oh, next county over. Yeah, I, I don't know my New Jersey geography that well. But anyway, Monmouth County, which is next to Bucolic County. Um, nice airport up there. Friendly people. Uh, kind of a cool place up on the uh, the northeastern corner of New Jersey. So we uh, we invaded that uh, that poor airport on an early on a Sunday morning um, with uh, with our, our fleet of airplanes. Uh, dropped in and you know, we brought some breakfast and um, used up pretty much their entire fuel truck as everybody gassed up. And our group of airplanes was everything from, I think our fastest uh, airplane was an SR-22. Our biggest airplane was a Cherokee 6 that I was in. And all the way down through your, your typical Cessnas and Pipers down to a couple guys that flew the whole thing in a Bristol Light Sport. So we had a pretty good spread of uh, of aircraft doing that. So we met up there at uh, Monmouth, got everybody arranged. Um, we had a pretty good uh, you know pre-brief that we did before a couple days before that, so everybody knew exactly what we were gonna be doing, and everybody was required, of course, to take the the FAA New York SFRA online course, which teaches you how to do that. We'll talk about what what all that entails a little bit later on, and. Uh, um, well, you know, we got together a um, couple, three days before that, had an, an online meeting to uh, arrange everything, the order that people would go in and how we would um, muster up at the airport and depart and keep ourselves safely separated and, and head up and down the river. Uh, so what we did is uh, we spread that all out. Uh, we put the, obviously, we put the faster airplane in the front. Uh, but then in between, we, uh, we set a procedure so that we would all depart from 
uh, Monmouth. Uh, we we just taxied out all in a line, which was uh, there's a we've got a pretty cool video of, of all that the the elephant walk of twelve airplanes going out, and uh, you know departed at an interval. It's a little bit of a windy day that day, so we used uh, full runway length spacing. So airplane one would take off, and when he crossed the departure end, the next one would go, and then the next, and so on. Um, we set it, you know, we set a nice procedure so everybody would, you know, climb out at 80, cruise at 100, and uh, that would keep us uh, in a nice, nice daisy chain line. Uh, so did that um, up out of Monmouth, headed north over the bay, and entered the the Hudson Corridor. Um, it was a beautiful day. Uh, visibility was pretty much unlimited. Like I said, a little bit windy, but that was about it. And uh, so we start up the Hudson. Uh, an extra little uh, tidbit on that: one of our one of our other folks, uh, one of our instructors, just happens to be in New York City for the holidays and went up to uh, this I, to, new to me. I don't know, maybe people know about it. This this uh, new skyscraper in New York called uh, Thirty Hudson Place, and they've got this giant uh, ob- observation deck, big triangular observation deck. So she actually went up there and video videoed us uh, pretty much at the same altitude uh, as we were heading up the river. So that was kind of cool. Um, so what you do uh, when you're doing this is you enter uh, the southern uh, part of the Hudson River. Um, if you're doing uh, the classic, what they call the exclusion corridor, you're, you're generally about 11 or 1,200 feet. Um, you come in over the Verrazano Bridge and start working your way up uh, along the eastern shore of the Hudson River. There is a little bit of a spur. It goes up what's called the East River. Uh, we did not do that. It's a little bit of a, a tight squeeze, and you end up needing a ATC clearance at the end of it. Um, so we don't uh, we didn't take a whole string of airplanes up there. We just went up the main corridor. So you go up over the the Verrazano. You're going right past uh, you know the uh, the New World. Uh, I think what do they call it now? WTO one World Trade Center one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go past the Edge Building uh, over the uh, the Intrepid, the Aircraft Carrier Museum, right? you're right to beam the Empire State Building, Central Park, all those things are right there off your wingtip as you uh, progress northbound. Uh, and our whole string of aircraft, we went all the way through up to the north, past the Palisades, and made a U-turn around the Tappan Zee Bridge and came back down the south uh, south direction, now, on, of course, on the western shore. So now all the people on the left side of the airplane can see something other than New Jersey. And... Uh, and same thing, you, you go when as you're going through that area, you're actually not in the Class Bravo, even though you're right in the middle of, uh, right between LaGuardia and Teterboro and Newark, you're in this little tunnel that cuts through the Class Bravo, so there's special um, position reporting procedures you do as you go through there. So, did all of that. Uh, the, the tour helicopter pilots were... Uh, uh, Kind of interested in this, this whole string of airplanes going through on a day that would normally be pretty uh, pretty slow for them. So they, we chatted with them a little bit on the frequency. That was kind of neat. And then at the end of the trip southbound, uh, each, uh, each airplane, we had enough space where you could peel off. Uh, you descend a couple hundred feet, make a circle around the Statue of Liberty, and then, uh, then exit out the, the south side of the river. And after that point, uh, we, you know, we had flown out, and most of the crew, uh, we went on to another, uh, another destination down in Pennsylvania on the way back for a nice lunch, and it, it turned out to be a really great day. Wow, that is that is a really cool trip, and uh, there, there's a lot more to this. I mean, you you made it sound kind of simple, um, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot that goes into this as far as rules are concerned. Uh, right. Just wondering if you were, while you were going by the Intrepid, uh, were you tempted to maybe do a touch and go on it? 
Yeah, we it was a little crowded. <laughs> they had they have some ground traffic on that thing, so yeah, we we'd have had to wait. So <laughs> understand. You know, yeah. I think one of the things that a lot of people are nervous about, a lot of listeners, is actually doing this because it is a tight corridor. Uh, there's a lot of rules. There's uh, there's also um, the fact that there's all these big airports around and big airplanes, and I'm sure you you saw quite a few of them. Um, but with just a, a little bit of knowledge, uh, you can do it, I think, rather comfortably. You know, the last time I did it, there weren't all these special flight rules, uh, and it was just such a, a beautiful trip. Uh, as far as all these new rules, and I, I've heard these comments with everything put in place, I still think, uh, and I'd like to know your opinion, I still think it's a rather relaxing and enjoyable flight. Right, Bill? Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the new rules, and I, I've been doing this for, I mean, when I was up in New England, 25, 30 years ago, we, we could do this. And um, the new rules make it a lot simpler, actually, because it things are all divided up. So, you know, there's a, a low altitude a local area, which is pretty much the tour helicopters um, playground. So they're down below 1,000 feet. Um, the exclusion zone in the middle, you're going to fly through that at uh, pretty much 11 or 1,200 feet. Uh, it, go, it goes up, I think it's up to, but not including 13, or maybe it's up to 13. I don't remember exactly. But so there's a little corridor for the what they call the exclusion zone, which is just doing just what we did, flying right straight on through the, the corridor and out the other end. And then there's another route that follows the same thing, Above that, they call the Skyline route, which is actually in the Class Bravo and requires a, a clearance from ATC to do that. Um, so they're they're all segregated. So these the different types of operations are not uh, are not mixing like it used to be, kind of a free for all. And uh, now there's there's a lot more segregation. And of course, all the big guys, the IFR traffic out of the the big airports is. Uh, is separated away from that in, inside the Class B. So uh, there's a lot of rules, but once you um, kind of go through your plan and understand what you need to do. It, it actually, it's it's pretty simple. You, you do have to be on your game with altitude and heading control and all, but I mean, it's, it's a VFR flight. You just fly over this point, that point, that point, and, and, and away you go. Yeah, I like, I like what you said. You really need to be on your game. I know I fly up and down the Hudson River quite a bit because I go into LaGuardia, and we're just a few thousand feet uh, you know, off the ground and looking at all these airplanes flying below us. Uh, you, you start saying to yourself, oh, my gosh, you know, there's all this traffic. But it does work out really well. I mean, it, they really do a great job, and, and the FAA has done a good job uh, through education uh, in helping people to traverse this safely. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Bill, in other words, how did you first of all learn how to do this, and and in explaining that, try to explain it in a way that maybe somebody who's thinking of doing this could make it easier for themselves and and actually you know plan this out so they can do this someday. Yeah. Okay. Well, the the, the answer is actually really simple, and the FAA makes it easy for you. So if you have a a, a fast team, FAA safety team uh, account, uh, that's you know where you go to. Do your wings uh, program or you know wings uh, online courses. Um, I'm sure most listeners are familiar with with that. If you're not, uh, we'll put that link in the show notes. And the uh, there is a course uh, specifically for doing exactly this. Um, we'll put the course code up there as well. But it's a, a training course for the New York City CIFRA, uh, SFRA Special Flight Rules Area, and it walks you through all the steps, exactly what you need to to know to do this. Uh, tells you everything from aircraft equipage to how to navigate it, uh, radio frequencies, altitudes. Uh, it even does have uh, a little bit of the history of how the SFRA came into being. So uh, 
that's that's pretty much one-stop shopping. That is what you need to do. In fact, you're required to take the course before you fly in the in the corridor anyway. So uh, they made it very easy for you. Yeah, you just go there to the, your Fast Team uh, website. I think the course code is uh, I want to say ALC90, but we'll put the link in there for you. And uh, it's got uh, everything you need. Awesome. And so that makes it a lot easier. As far as now, so you're somebody who has a unique experience in that you've also gone through the DC uh, SFRA. And in comparison, because um, I, I hear those comparisons, and I, I have no knowledge on this from the VFR standpoint, what, as far as complexity and learning how to navigate the airspace, do you feel that this would be more or less difficult or maybe the same? Uh, well, yeah, so the DCSFRA, which um, I mean, I go through it pretty much every day. Uh, there's uh, it's, it, there's a lot more options. It's, obviously, it's bigger. Uh, first of all, it's uh, you know giant uh, sort of oblong or what is it? Sort of three lobe circle around uh, um, DC area. We've got uh, three big airports in there and, and lots of uh, aircraft operating in and out. Whereas the Hudson River SFRA is just that little corridor that goes um, goes up the river there so it's pretty much only for one thing uh, but certainly if uh, yeah if you can if you can deal with the DC CIFRA then dealing with the New York CIFRA is a piece of cake you just have to learn their rules um, and you know we do have some things like that in the DC CIFRA there is a flyway um, that uh, is used between uh, DC and, and Baltimore you can slide through a little corridor in there so that's uh sort of an analogy to that, but it's not nearly as uh, scenic as the, the Hudson River corridor. So same kind of thing, uh, except with the uh, the New York uh, SFRA doesn't really require any interaction with ATC, whereas the uh, the DC CIFRA, except for a few um, special procedures, um, you generally do have to be in contact with ATC, um, get a, a, a you know a special code and an approval uh, whereas with the Hudson River exclusion once you you just follow the rules and you you just squawk in 1200 and you're on a, a CTAF frequency where you're just talking to other pilots um, if you take the skyline route then yes you're in class Bravo um, and do have to talk to uh, ATC there so a little bit different in that in that respect. Yeah, that was a great description, uh, comparing the two. Thanks, Bill. That was awesome. Um, as far as the course, by the way, we will have it in the show notes. Uh, let's talk a little bit, though, about some of the ways to operate safely there. I know, you know, following the rules, that type of thing. Maybe we can learn a little bit from past accidents, incidences there. Uh, first of all, the biggest thing, you know, when I would fly up and down the river is that I always uh, felt a little bit tight, uh, a little claustrophobic almost uh, when I first started. There is a, a limited amount of space to to actually make a turn uh, in that corridor, and uh, and there's some an inter- or an accident that actually was uh, that happened there as far as an aircraft that was maneuvering, and it was a, a Cirrus that wound up actually uh, running into a, a building, and one of the things that and this is my philosophy on this, is I, when I was doing this, I always thought to myself, if something goes wrong and I don't have enough space, um, I'm going to, I'm going to violate a regulation in airspace before I, I run into something. And I kept that in the back of my mind. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I messed up, but I, you know, I'd rather do that than, than run into a building, et cetera. Because 
it is a very, very tight squeeze. Um, Bill, I don't know if you know much about that, that accident, but um, there, was, there was this accident with a Cirrus that actually wound up in a building and, uh, you know, unfortunately killed occupants of, of that building and, and injured people on the ground and also killed the, the pilots and passengers. Um, but I think big part of I'm, that plus another accident led to this, this special flight rule area. Um, could you explain, you know, maybe you do have a little knowledge on that, where, or did I explain it properly where this person turned on the river and just didn't have enough space to get out? Right. Yeah, you're, you're talking about a yeah serious accident that occurred. That um, that aircraft, and and I mentioned it early on. There was actually in the spur that they call the East River corridor. So um, at, at the very southern tip of Manhattan, the East River branches off, and that's a separate uh, bit of airspace. Uh, and there are there are special procedures for that as well. And you are pinched between. Um, all contra- it's kind of got a dead end at the northern end of that, unlike the Hudson part of the corridor where you, you go all the way through and you come out the other end. At the end of the East River corridor is LaGuardia and controlled airspace up there. Uh, so the it, you either have to get some kind of clearance, whether it's Bravo or, or Delta or whatever it is that you're going to need to do. Um, I guess it's Bravo all the way down around LaGuardia. But regardless, you need ATC clearance um, up there. And if not, if you can't get it or you don't want to get it, um, it is a very uh, very tight turnaround in there, and you know, have to pay attention to the wind and, of course, the buildings. Um, and basically because of that accident, for our trip, and obviously with 12 aircraft, we weren't going to do anything like that. So, so we stayed out of the East River, but that's another um, separate part, and there are separate procedures for all that. Having said that, even in the Hudson Corridor, which is uh, you know, a bit wider um, – and you know you're not under ATC control in there. Part of the rules are you know this is made for go in one end and out the other end. Uh, you know a, a turnaround in the Hudson corridor would only be done if you know you had some kind of an emergency. Right, and that really is one of the uh, key points here is that uh, knowing uh, what your limits are and also realizing that you know you do come to this dead end and uh, you better be ready to talk to air traffic control and have a clearance, et cetera, on the East River. Uh, up and down Correct. the Hudson River are a little bit different. Those are two separate. You know, it's hard for people that don't fly in the New York area to envision this, but you know, the Hudson River seems kind of narrow. But the East River is really narrow. I mean, it's right. uh, super, super narrow. So, so just follow the rules up and down both those ends there. Um, and with that said, now, you know, progressing forward, uh, there was this one accident that I think really, um, you know, set the, the tone and put forth some recommendations which were actually made into law for the CIFRA. And that's, that was actually, and I, I remember this, uh, it was a, Actually, a collision, a midair collision between a helicopter and a Cherokee, and uh, it really, um, it was sad because it involved a aircraft, a Cherokee, actually uh, taking a frequency from the air traffic controller and not getting the proper frequency, and and unfortunately, the controller either didn't have enough time, the person switched already, whatever it was to to actually call that out, and there were calls as to, hey, you know. There's you know a collision alert, but they weren't able to get in touch with the pilots. Uh, so this, the procedures that were put into place because of this, Bill, I'd like to know your opinion on this. What 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 was done so that it would prevent such a, a collision in that corridor? What do you feel that was put into place that would prevent that? 
Yeah, they, they talk about that uh, in depth. You'll actually learn all about that accident when you take the uh, the SFRA course. That So the SFRA was a direct result of that accident. So um, making the, the three layers of airspace, uh, the, the CTAF dedicated frequency and all, um, was specifically um, stemmed from that, that accident. So uh, for for just those reasons to keep uh, to keep it from being a uh, you know so wide open like it was there. Yeah, absolutely. And for people to understand this, this is actually a piece of airspace uh, underneath the Bravo, and it's up to thirteen hundred feet, uh, or Bravo, I should say, starts at thirteen hundred feet. And there's there's not a, a lot of up and down uh, space or, or vertical space uh, to maneuver in. But what the new rules have done, and I haven't been, gone through the whole course yet, what the new rules have done is really segmented it, and uh, I feel have made it a lot safer. Uh, to operate in this area. But with that said, Bill, I know there's the rules, there's this course that we have to take. Uh, I've almost always recommended people maybe jump in with an air into an airplane with someone who has experience running up and down the river uh, or maybe grab a, a local flight instructor uh, and maybe they could help you out. How, how could someone with local knowledge besides taking this course help an individual who's new to this, Bill? Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, there's, uh, the course is great, uh, but sure. If you've done it, uh, once you've done it one time, um, you'll, you kind of get the feel for it. And if someone's been through there already, um, definitely help them out with spotting the landmarks and, and dealing with the, um, the CTAF and the frequencies in there. I say that, and it's pretty tight. I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had our little string of airplanes going through, but there were other folks in there as well, um, you know, mixing, uh, with our little caravan, you know, going the other direction, and you've got the tour helicopters down there, and everyone should be separated out. But you know, if you've got uh, other different types of aircraft um, mixing with you, different speeds and all, so that's uh, definitely something. Once you get you've done it before, to kind of know how to look for where they are. People are supposed to call out position reports at these uh, the big landmarks. Um, and I will say, you know, uh, having done this uh, many many years ago, and and done it in recent years. Uh, Having uh, some method of ADS-B in sure helps a lot as well. Uh, being able to put, uh, you know, I just got a little sentry and an iPad up there and being able to look look at all that traffic and even see their tail numbers and everything made it a whole lot easier than uh, than the old days when it just kind of looked like, uh, um, you know, apocalypse now with all the helicopters in the river. Yeah, quite a, quite a free-for-all, that's for sure. Uh, interestingly, by the way, Bill, I've been I'm open my iPad while we've been talking, and I've been watching people going up and down the river. Uh, it's busier than I expected. Um, the other uh, takeaway from as I'm watching this right now is that there are aircraft that are not far above you, like at four thousand feet and even three thousand feet. Uh, bigger airplanes, you know, big jets and, and airliners that are flying around there. Uh, so it's really it's actually. Uh, I, I'm actually shocked at this time of night how many people are going up and down the river. Uh, it's pretty dark out there. And uh, oh, this this trip is great at night. I mean, our our uh, caravan. I guess that's what I call it rather than formation. We were daytime, but uh, it's uh, it's really a spectacular trip at night. Yeah, and and I'm yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. It really wasn't a, a formation flight. It was more like a caravan, yeah. like you said. Uh, the one thing, and this is my favorite thing about doing this at night is if you get a chance, um, and I'm sure you've probably seen this, Bill, is if you if you go by uh, Times Square as you're going past that, 
it's absolutely phenomenal in the theater district and all. Uh, watching all the lights and you can read what's on the screen and everything. It's uh, it's just, it, it's kind of surreal because you're sitting in this airplane, the small airplane, and you're reading and you're actually able to read some of the things that are actually on that, that big uh, screen that's in Times Square. I forget what they call it, but it's a Times Square screen. It's just absolutely phenomenal. That's cool. So as far as pictures are concerned, we definitely have some uh, in the show notes. And you talked about a video. But one thing I do want to do, Bill, is challenge you to uh, to take me up and down the corridor. I'm going to take that course, and, and we're going to yeah. do it. And I think uh, I'd also like to see maybe Tom could come along and pick a, a nice little adventure for all of us so we can learn. Um, you know, someone like myself who's been, what, 20-some-odd years since I've actually gone up and down the corridor, I'd, I'd love to learn more about it. So let's make it a date. How's yeah. that sound? Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds good to me. You know, for just just as and some other advice too. I want to talk a little bit about the local area since I have flown out of the area quite a bit. Um, I used to fly out of an airport called Marstown Airport that isn't very far uh, away from the river, and it's a it's a really it's an interesting little airport that's uh, it's it's only about fifteen sixteen miles from the river. Um, but there's another airport, Newark Airport, in between, and it's they're usually pretty good about having you fly over uh, the two nine to run runway ten two nine to go to the river to actually fly up and down and to do you know flying over the 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 lady and stuff like that. Another um, interesting thing, just from experience flying up the river, is the fact that a lot of people don't realize I I fly in an airliner up and down the river a lot, primarily up to go fly into runway 22 at LaGuardia is that they that is that is strictly a VFR uh, flight for us and we have to we have to stay right over the river so we're constantly you know moving banking a little bit as we go up the river uh, so if you're lucky enough to go fly in an airliner as you're coming into that area maybe to go do a flight in a small plane make sure you're looking out the window uh, because there are some amazing sights even to see it like 3,000 feet or 2,000 feet um, but it's so it's so neat to be able to have that experience and and actually to to put that forth to your friends uh, I want to talk a little bit also about uh, some some things that I feel from my experience in flying in the river and some of the things that I was maybe uh, a little nervous about was the fact that there weren't many areas to actually land. And uh, I actually know somebody who landed in the Hudson River. Uh, They don't know why the engine quit, but there's a really good article about this. Uh, AvWeb had an article, and I think Flying Magazine did a great job about, uh, you know, did one of those learned about flying about that, from actually landing in the river and, and realizing that even though you are close to land, uh, there was a couple of takeaways from this one accident, and we'll never know why the engine quit because it, it sunk in the river uh, and they haven't retrieved it. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, there was actually three big takeaways, I should say, from this flight where the person landed in the river is that, number one, get on the radio right away if you have a problem and you don't really know who's going to come and get you because in this case uh, they were flying out of um, – and I can't remember the name of the field right now, but uh, flying out of uh, the air the airfield that's Floyd Bennett Field, Floyd Bennett Field, uh, there's actually some police helicopters that were there, and we're listening to his call and his mayday call as he went down, and those were part of the crew that came and, and rescued the two of them. There's two in the aircraft, and then there was also uh, some Coast Guard helicopters that came in. 
the the one thing is that get on the radio. Make sure you talk to people and and make sure someone's out there listening to you. And that would happen, I think, Bill, uh, because of the fact that you're on the same frequency. I think right away, if you did have a problem, uh, someone would hear you. And, uh, and, and, and to that point, Bill, when you're up, going up and down the river and you're making these announcements, and you, did you have a lot of interaction with the other pilots on the, other, on the frequency? We, we try to keep that to a minimum. Uh, the, the, and the course will brief you on that as well. There's uh, some specific points that everybody's supposed to report, you know, their, their position. You are on the same frequency as the tour helicopters, so you'll hear them as well as they, they cross back and forth. Um, but there's a lot of chatter in there. There's a lot of people reporting those um, position reports. So um, there's not a lot of room for doing anything else. But if obviously if somebody had an emergency, yeah, there would be – um, many aircraft that would hear you immediately. I think, I'm not 100% sure, but that the CTAF, although it's not used by ATC, I believe it is monitored by ATC, so they would hear um, if there was an emergency going on in there. Um, and like I said, the, the tour helicopters and the police helicopters, whatever, that are in that area are on the same frequency. Pretty much all we did within the caravan was the position reports and occasional very brief you know, call outs from, you know, from one of us to somebody else to say, you know, slow down, speed up just to, you know, keep our spacing. That would be about it. So you have that opportunity to, to talk to people, which is, is key here. Yeah, you do, but you really want to keep it, you know, as brief as, as possible. But if you had a problem, someone will hear you, which I think is Yeah, definitely people will hear you. You know, um, going back to a couple other lessons I learned from this incident, uh, that was number one, talking on the frequency. The other thing is, um, Having flotation devices, although you don't legally need uh, the flotation devices, uh, your part 91 and you're flying up and down a river, it's always a good idea to hang on to those. Uh, I flew off an island for many years, and uh, I never really brought flotation devices with me much, but uh, my friend who flew out of there said to me, you know, you're going over the water. And it's, you know, it's not going to take long for you to be in that water. And you want to be searching for something to actually <laughs> help you to float and stay afloat. Uh, so I, I took that advice, you know, have one of those vests on uh, as you're flying over the water. I, you know, I get it. A lot of people are like, that's, uh, they think that might be a little bit excessive. But when I re- when you read this article and you listen to these folks, that's one of the things they said is that they, they kind of wish they had maybe a little bit more as far as flotation devices. And, and the other thing, too, is that once you're in the water, uh, having had, you know, been flying over the water and, and out of islands and have met many people have put in the water, is once you're in the water, you want to be able to signal where you are. And that was another takeaway from this is that the individual wished they had some way of signaling either through reflective vests or through, you know, any type of, of flares, et cetera, to show where they are because don't count on the the boat or the barge that you land next to to actually help you because there may actually be nobody on that boat Uh, so that was kind of a takeaway there so if you're thinking about flying that river any river where there isn't much room to actually land or not many good landing spots it's not a bad idea to bring on you know some flotation devices just in case something does happen there uh you know we always hope for the best prepare for the worst type of thing Uh, and that's where it's good to have somebody that's been flying up and down the river for years uh, and there's are many opinions on on what you should bring and 
and why you should bring that. But, uh, but and there's also a lot of rules as far as what you have to have on the aircraft, and uh, and that's all explained in that online course. Which uh, once I get it done, I'll definitely do a review of that. That that is for sure. But uh, a lot of good advice here, Bill. Um, you know, going back to this, this is this was a really cool journey. Um, as far as this caravan that you did, wh- what would you think was kind of the the most memorable moment there? Yeah, I mean, seeing the whole you know the whole row of everybody going up there was really terrific. You know, when uh, especially once you know the, the big string, uh, you know, we the leaders had already made the turn at uh, Tappan Zee Bridge and coming down. I was like, yeah, this is this is really cool. We pretty much owned the river for a while, so that was uh, that was really pretty fun. Um, and uh, you know, just seeing everybody together, having that uh, that group of I don't know, we probably thirty or forty people all told between all the airplanes that we had that. Uh, could enjoy it all together. That was great. Yeah. I The camaraderie, uh, the challenge of it, I think that's terrific. Uh, you mentioned Monmouth. Uh, that was uh, Belmar, Monmouth Airport, I think you flew out of, possibly? That, yes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and that's actually pretty close to the coast. Another neat thing is just go fly up and down the coast uh, of New Jersey. It's really, really pretty there. Um, right not far from bucolic new jersey as a matter of fact uh in my favorite town um but uh but one thing i you know tom uh i know you haven't actually done this yet but i think uh this is also on our bucket list uh, one of them is going to the bahamas together but uh i'm gonna tell tom that i'm gonna challenge him that all three of us are gonna do this we're gonna get together at least two of us are gonna do this up and down the river how's that sound tom Oh yeah, I'd love to go do this. I had the opportunity once. It got canceled for weather, and and was really sad. I didn't get to do it. Um, I made it to the top of uh, the new World Trade Center one and got to see the view that way, and could see other planes going by and the helicopters. And you know, I was aware of the CIFRA, so I could I, I could visualize what they were doing. But I really, really, really want to fly it one day. So yes, challenge accepted. A- absolutely. Well, great. And if anybody has questions, obviously you go to stuckmikeavcast.com. Put your questions there. You can actually look at us, look us up on Instagram, also our Facebook page. Uh, we also have the YouTube channel, which hopefully we'll put some more videos out there. Which, by the way, it's been a challenge. I know you've all heard that uh, we have a big shortage of pilots right now, so I've had to do a lot more work. Uh, so I haven't been able to put a lot of those videos together. But we're definitely gonna get some more content out. We have a bunch of air shows coming up, and and we hear you. Um, you really enjoy all those interviews at the air shows and all these different events. We're definitely gonna do more of those for you, and I really appreciate that. Our picks of the week. Don't forget to go back to the website, Stuck Mike Avcast, and look up previous picks of the week. So there's really cool things out there. So to start us off, uh, I'm going to have Bill English. Bill, what is your pick of the week? Uh, so my pick of the week is, well, someplace I've never been. But uh, as I mentioned in the story about the uh, trip up to New York, our, our friend was there at uh, Edge NYC. And this is this new skyscraper um, 30 Hudson Place in New York City that uh, I think it's only about three or four years old, but has this fantastic viewing deck. So if you do get weathered out or you just can't get a pilot uh, or plane um, to do the trip, you can go up there and check out that great big viewing deck and see the other people who are enjoying the Hudson <laughs> River corridor. <laughs> but it's, uh, it seemed like it was a pretty cool place. Uh, you know, my friend really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, New York City's got a few restrictions on things you can do right now but uh, hopefully that'll go away soon and it'll be a lot easier to just pop up there and watch some planes go by so edgenyc.com it's in the show notes yeah absolutely and i looked at the link oh my gosh i mean that's incredible it's like you're standing on air 
uh, while you're yeah. out there on that edge. And they call it that for a reason. A little afraid of heights, to be honest with you, especially in buildings, obviously not in airplanes. Uh, so I'm not so sure I can do I'm not so sure I'm going to do the World Trade Center again. That actually was pretty scary. But uh, and it's, I know it's weird, but in airplanes, I'm, I'm pretty cool with it. Uh, so, Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, Carl, so I was... I'm going to pay homage to Russ since he wasn't able to join us tonight. He always picks a book. So um, I'm rereading a book. I may have picked this as a pick of the week once before, but um, it's called Mr. Piper and His Cubs. And it's basically a chronological history of the uh, Piper Aircraft Company. And what's so fascinating about this book is, you know, just how much Piper played into the history of aviation um, and, and specifically through the war and all that and how much effort they put into it and, you know, how much effort Piper put into keeping light planes up and flying, you know, even through wars and depressions and all sorts of stuff, you know, and the, and the cub was the backbone of that. Um, and it's just a fascinating story. It, it, um, it's an old book. Um, it's from 1973, but, uh, it's, it's definitely a good read and, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it again. Awesome. I love the history of Piper and uh, Mr. Piper and his Cubs. Uh, I think they're going to have their air show again coming up uh, in Pennsylvania. So uh, definitely, uh, hopefully we'll be reporting from there. Um, my pick of the week, before I get to it, I do have a question for Bill English. Uh, I noticed while, uh, while we've been going through this, all the airplanes flying up and down. There's a lot of planes going northbound at 1,500 feet. Um, I'm assuming that's that part where that's 1,300 feet and above where uh, you actually have to talk to ATC. Uh, right, this, they call it the Skyline Route. That's I, it. I haven't been looking. I'll go. I'll go look yeah. now. So I was trying to remember the name of it. It's called the Skyline Route. You'll learn about it uh, in that course. And by the way, we'll have those in the show notes as far as, as the links there. Uh, but that's not my pick of the week. Uh, is my pick of the week is actually for those of you that uh, listen to me, the airline folks that I talk to that come over here and, and want to you know get back into general aviation or in general aviation, and they don't want to buy multiple headsets and say you you fly uh, an Airbus, which is very popular, and that's what I fly for work. Uh, I use actually a connector for my general aviation aircraft and, or excuse me, my general aviation headsets uh, that I can use in the Airbus. And uh, I'm actually very excited about this because I'm so excited that a lot of you are getting into general aviation. Uh, but one of the things I hear is like, I don't want to buy two headsets. With this, you don't need to. Um, I've been through, I will be honest, I've been through connectors before. And uh, the XLR portion of this plug, uh, it's a wire, wireless GA twin plug to Airbus XLR headset adapter I'm talking about. Well, this is a good one. I really like this one. Uh, it has an incredibly strong connection. Uh, and some of the pins on some of these other connectors aren't as good. Um, and sometimes these do fall apart. I, this is my third pair or my third connector because number one connector Something to think about when you're putting your air, air chair, your armchair down or for your control for your side stick. It actually comes out sometimes and you can leave it behind in the aircraft. Something to keep in mind. Also, if you go with a cheaper brand, which I did, the connectors weren't as good, but this one uh, was outstanding. And you can get that actually, and I'm going to have a link in the show notes. We can buy that on Amazon. So, all my friends out there that are listening that are into GA want to use their GA headset in the, in the Airbus. It's only $28.90. Uh, and it's uh, wire nest. I'm very happy with it so far. So I highly recommend that. The after landing checklist. 
I've really been excited to bring this to you, and I thank Bill for actually sharing uh, his experiences going up and down the Hudson River. What we call the corridor uh, is the nomenclature. It's a special flight rules area that you have to learn. Uh, go online, learn that. I challenge you to do something, uh, and that's, it's this. Think about doing it. Think about actually getting out there, grab an instructor, learn how to actually go up and down the Hudson River in an aircraft, maybe not on your own at first. Try grab someone that has experience. But I challenge you to get out there and kind of stretch what you're doing by, in your flight experience, stretch your flight experience, stretch your flying experiences, and have fun by doing something like this. And maybe something else. It may be something you're not on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast. But, but try something new and get out there and have fun with it. Or plan a flight to come over to the East Coast and try flying up and down the river the Hudson River Corridor, what an incredible sight. It can be safe, it can be fun, and you'll never forget about it for the rest of your life. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.